When you think of great duos, who do you think of? Jordan and Pippen or LeBron and Dwayne Wade. I mean, I talk about basketball a lot here on this podcast, but for the Barcelona version, there's PK and Puyol or PK and Mascherano or the easy example of Xavi and Iniesta. And as you can hear from my voice, the perfect teammates aren't just professional athletes. It's cold season. I guess the flu and cold medicine, perfect teammates as well. But in this case, when it comes to growing your business, that's you and Shopify. Shopify is a global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. To be honest, I've been doing this show long enough. And as I mentioned, it's cold and flu season. You hear it in my voice, especially during the holiday season. So whenever it comes to this business, anything that I can set up and kind of have working in the background that I know and can trust is just plugging along without my attention. Those are the things that I really value at this point. So when my brain is foggy, all I can do is manage to turn on the microphone, talk to the guest, or just talk to myself and get out a piece of content. Everything else, having that all automated or working in the background, that's been important to keeping me sane. And that's the thing about something like Shopify. What I do love about Shopify is how no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. So no matter how big or small, how good of a month or how bad of a month, things are just the same working in the background. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is a global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs on every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tbpod, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash tbpod now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash tbpod. Welcome to episode 350 of the Barcelona Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Dan Hilton. He's Emil Evanesian. How's it going, Emil? What's up, Dan? How are you? Well, thankfully, Barcelona avoided four straight home losses, which would certainly make more than history. Three losses that are yep. in history in one season. So, or one, let's say, consecutive season where Louis van Alden, blah, 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 blah. So anyway, we're back to a, a the winning streak or the winning column streak if you get more than one but it was a 2-1 yep. victory over Mallorca it's already two days ago so we're not really going to break into the X's mm-hmm. and O's too much here but yep. the big picture Emil certainly is the stakes of that game winning that game means that plus Real Betis by the way yesterday 0-0 against Adafe puts yep. a draw against Real Betis on the weekend for Barcelona a lot closer to the finish line to finish in the Champions League spot, but a win does mathematically qualify them for the Champions League for next season. It's done and dusted. So as much as that Mallorca win and just, you know, a standard three points against Mallorca at home, it seems like nothing of something. It certainly meant quite a lot for what the whole point, I mean, when it all is done and settled and Barca haven't won a trophy this season, the whole point of this season was to secure Champions League football for next season. And that's all it's going to come down to. And fortunately, again, those three points against America go a long, long way to doing that. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think, I mean, we spent all season, especially once we got a sense of what the, I guess the tenor or the theme of this season was going to be, that there wasn't going to be, you know, miraculous post-Messi gelling into a, a Voltron. That was the entire objective, was to weather the, weather the storms, both external and 
on the pitch and find some sort of cohesion and form, you know, for everything that this team has been through and, you know, some of the really kind of dramatic lows that we've endured watching the team and, you know, that we've talked about here, this is all we, you know, and I, I always keep going back to sort of October, November time and saying, this is, if you'd given us this, then we'd be fine. If you told us, you know, Ansu's back and healthy, uh, Barca are actually bringing in new players. Xavi's in managing and the the vibes around the team, even when the results are bad, the vibes around the team aren't as, I don't know, sort of almost as noxious as they would get when, when Kuman was in charge. I mean, I think we would have taken that. And, you know, this is going to wind up being a, a satisfactory result. I mean, I think it's the, the three results prior to this, I think really take, you know, they took most, if not all the wind out of the sails. I mean, the, you know, you can't, if they'd even taken just a point a piece off of a couple of lackluster opponents, you know, we're even just talking about how this team is learning to grind out results. I mean, the Frankfurt thing was what it was, but all in all, I mean, we've, we're in, we're in touching distance of, of the finish line that we, that we had set out the, the reasonable goal that we'd set out for this team. I mean, I know it's not sexy and we're not, you know, we can't really pop champagne over it, but this is fine as far as healing and rehab seasons go back in the champions league and generally playing a generally playing fairly attractive football. And by and large, the players seem to be happy. They, you know, most everyone seems to want to play for Chavi. There hasn't been, you know, the, the personalities, everyone, you know, kind of seems to be in a decent place by and large. I think it's, it's good with an asterisk. You know? Yeah. I would agree with that sentiment that even though Barcelona looked like they had lost everything they had, it's not that they've regained anything, <laughs> But against Mallorca, it looked, I don't know, something felt a bit more comfortable. And mm-hmm. yeah, that was because the result went Barca's way, surely. But I, I think just from the start to finish, Mallorca had their chances. And they were better chances than I, I think I appreciated or gave credit to Mallorca here. But yep. it did look different. And I thought that and I wondered if expected goals would help me get to why it felt different. But if anything, Emil, I went down the expected goals rabbit hole and that just okay. kind of blew up everything up even farther. Where against Mallorca, it was a 1.20 expected goals for Barca to Mallorca's 1.01. So Barca actually scored more goals than their expected goals. Shots were 17 to 6, though. So a yeah. lot of peppering the net. That's what I think made it feel like Barca had their chances. Today if that yeah, I'm guy surprised gets the XG down. number was quite so low. Right, but yeah. But, but yeah, if that guy gets his shot down, if that guy is mm-hmm. so wide, sure. And then yeah. also Barcelona created one big chance to Mallorca's two, which is an interesting stat in that game as well. And I want to remind people what expected goals means. It tells us the quality of an attempt and its probability of finding the net rather than the actual outcome of the shot. And as we've been seeing in La Liga this season, where they have, I think it's IBM or whoever it is that, that does the, you know, the, the 360 chances and percentages. And, and the percentage of scoring. Right. Yeah. And they'll, they'll show you those kind of things. Barcelona, generally, they're putting the ball in the back of the net when they are expected to put the ball in the back of the net, yes. basically, is yeah. the answer. Where even Real Madrid, I believe, has a lower expected goals per game average than Barca does this season. Or at least for so much of the season, yet they put the ball in the back of the net. I mean, they're they're clinical. And I mean, that's the most important thing, right? Putting the ball actually in the net. So expected goals, uh, expected goals, you're losing me a little bit, though. But you compare that expected goals against Mallorca, as I said, where 0.19 was the separation between the two. Mm -hmm. And you compare that to the last five previous 
matches where against Ryo, it was 1.75 to 0.44. So mm-hmm. you want to talk about a really frustrating result, right? That's why that yep. result hurts so bad because Barca almost at two. They don't get any goals. Ryo is yep. closer to one. I mean, uh, zero than they are. Closer to, one, to zero than one. Yeah. And they still get one. Then against Real Sociedad, we felt like that game wasn't great. And it wasn't. For Barca, it was 0.99. They really weren't. Mm. They really weren't putting Real Sociedad under too much pressure, and that's why they won one nothing. So you don't get much closer than a point nine nine and win one nothing. Yeah. But Real Sociedad did have a one point one six goals uh, expected goals, and they were unable to convert against Cadiz. It was one point two eight against one point eight eight. So that's why that one hurt because you got Cadiz yeah. at almost two expected goals, while Barcelona were closer to one. And then Eintracht Frankfurt in that second leg, where this all started to go wrong, is the interesting one here because Barca had a two point six one expected goals against a 2.0 but i guess that's not that crazy because frankfurt finishes with three barca finishes with two but they finish with two and it kind of gets skewed because we know that it was three yeah. nothing and expected goals don't tell us that and then finally the 3-2 win against levante remember that's the one where the late header from luke de young gets all three yep. points that was 3.53 goals again expected goals against 1.40 for yeah. levante so barcelona actually underperformed it levante overperformed it and it ends 3-2 for barca and looking at Xavi, I, I looked even beyond that, but Xavi's so far his unbeaten streak and when Barcelona were flying mm-hmm. high, their expected goals were far exceeding their actual goals and they were getting results yeah. everywhere and things were great. So yeah, there are some concerning results and I think expected goals in the last recent matches show you that this is a team that match by match, opponent by opponent, they're kind of taking it on the chin. So Mallorca wasn't, you know, some huge turnaround per se, but it kind of does go with that theme that this team is limping its way to the finish line and yep. they're doing just enough. And again, against Real Betis, I don't care if the expected goals is 0.40. I don't care if it's negative. Just as long figure, as they win. Right. As yeah, long as figure win, something out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think the, I think part of the reason too, that the Mallorca, I'm, I'm with you in that the game, the performance felt better than even the scoreline. And it felt like a, a comfortable, good win. And, you know, maybe even against against my better judgment, I was never sort of thought that it was in peril, even when the margin was, you know, either 1-0 or 2-1 in the latter stages. And I think a little bit of it was, particularly Mallorca had that one chance, I can't remember who it was that put it over the, put it over the crossbar in the, you know, from basically point blank range in the first, was it 15, 20 minutes. And that one almost faded into the memory, though, because I thought Barca played very well from that point forward and i think it was also because mallorca's goal was yes the the ball in on that free kick was perfectly placed but the guy was trying to kick it and it just ricocheted off his knee and went in Mm -hmm. so it was you know in that sense they kind of technically scored by accident and so i think that was why it almost felt it felt like barca were in greater control than the scoreline would have suggested well to throw in in on that goal real quick the the goal that was scored by the captain riola that because it was araujo that that lost him it was this weird thing where if it was lang lang when he had come on who made a mistake or if it's garcia who does make the mistake and he almost got beat on one mistake but if if he those are the guys that make the mistakes then that creates a lot more havoc and it creates a lot more discourse. But when Araujo was scored on, he's the guy that loses his mark. Everybody goes, 
I mean, I guess it was just a good goal. Yeah, that's yeah. What happened, right? Yeah. So there's no discipline. It's like, hey, man, whatever it happens. Yeah. Right, because you know <laughs> the kind of defender is. So, it, I mean, mm-hmm. personnel actually does affect discourse, which it shouldn't, but it does in this case. Because Araujo just, yeah. it, it, he's Teflon when it comes to defending. Because, yeah, he makes three mistakes all season, on, def- on the defensive end at least. You know, three to yeah. five mistakes all season. And that was one of them. But Bar still gets a result. So, I guess no harm, no foul, if you will. Oh, exactly. Yeah, I mean, it's... You know, I mean, the and it really is not to even necessarily let Araujo off the line, but just you know, off the hook. But I mean, anybody really, you know, mistakes are going to be made, and you know, X number of times for a season, they're going to result in in you shipping a goal. You hope that happens when you're up two nil or three uh, nil, rather than you know, in the final five or six minutes of a of a tie game that you really need the points from, but. To your point of of it feeling like Barca is sort of limping to the to the finish line, I mean, I think they absolutely are because it's particularly I think going into the the second leg against Frankfurt, then as now it felt like I mean at that point it felt like top two was Barca's to lose or you know second place I guess was Barca's to lose, and you know so we were figuring okay so after all of the after all of the 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 crap we've had to <laughs> crawl through all season. If we can wind up with second place and shoot, maybe even take the, take the Europa league, like that would be a resounding success of a season. And I think for the Europa league campaign to just come to such a deflating end. And then, and then I think at that point it was a little bit of like, okay, fine. I guess like, you know, we just have to do this like top four thing. And, you know, and then at that point, you know, whether you get second, third or fourth, almost becomes almost becomes academic because you know whatever they're going to let us into the champions league and we're not getting a trophy for it whichever one it is so i think it kind of became like that and i i do think there was a little bit of a combination emotional letdown emotional hangover from the frankfurt loss and the elimination from the europa and and i think that almost just kind of led to an exhale in the league that led to them getting picked off twice and you know i mean it's it's good that they were able to get on track because they actually still did need these points. Like it wasn't a, a total fait accompli, but it's at this point, I think we're just, yeah, we're kind of just in that place where just lock up a couple more results and it'll be okay. And, you know, we'll see you in the group stages next year and, you know, we'll, we'll never speak of this again. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you think of great duos, who do you think of? 
Jordan and Pippen or LeBron and Dwayne Wade. I mean, I talk about basketball a lot here on this podcast, but for the Barcelona version, there's PK and Puyol or PK and Mascherano or the easy example of Xavi and Iniesta. And as you can hear from my voice, the perfect teammates aren't just professional athletes. It's cold season. I guess the flu and cold medicine, perfect teammates as well. But in this case, when it comes to growing your business, that's you and Shopify. Shopify is a global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. To be honest, I've been doing this show long enough. And as I mentioned, it's cold and flu season. You hear it in my voice, especially during the holiday season. So whenever it comes to this business, anything that I can set up and kind of have working in the background that I know and can trust is just plugging along without my attention. Those are the things that I really value at this point. So when my brain is foggy, all I can do is manage to turn on the microphone, talk to the guest, or just talk to myself and get out a piece of content. Everything else, having that all automated or working in the background, that's been important to keeping me sane. And that's the thing about something like Shopify. What I do love about Shopify is how no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. So no matter how big or small, how good of a month or how bad of a month, things are just the same working in the background. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is a global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen and millions of other entrepreneurs on every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tbpod, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash tbpod now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash tbpod. Well, let's change gears just a little bit and talk about Anzu Fati because yeah. Champions League, wherever Barcelona is next year, Copa del Rey, Champions League, La Liga, mm. you're going to hope that Anzu Fati is a big player and a major player, a starter and important member of La Grana last season. Oh, and man, the yes. story for Mallorca was that he returned. I think the goal, yeah. uh, yes, obviously the, the, the goals and the winning of the game, all that stuff matters. But mm. Anzu, even in... I mean, it was, I say second gear, and I say I always call it Jordi Alba for going to second gear sometimes, but yeah. Ansu Fati was in barely in first gear, and that was totally yeah. fine, right? He was like just <laughs> walking around the field, totally He's fine. He's finding his legs again, yeah. Exactly. Returning to the field, as always, the ovation from the Camp Nou crowd, mm-hmm. who it was nice to see them kind of return to supporting the team in a way that they haven't for the last few weeks. So it was nice to see their responses. Prior to Ansu, even, and then again, the minute you see him warming up, you, you mm-hmm. hear it, you see it, it, everybody going crazy. But most importantly, I think for Ansu was the comment that Xavi made post-game, where mm-hmm. he didn't really say anything too crazy, but he did hint that he sees Ansu as the number nine in the long term. And that it's kind of interesting, but it's kind of not, because we all say it, and it's all this possibility, and it all makes sense in our brains, but we all keep putting Ansu on the left anyway, because that's where he's been. Yeah. And that's where the known commodity is, right? And so Ansu has played through the middle sometimes, and he's been great through the middle. And Mm -hmm. I wonder if this is even a a, a sharper pivot with this latest return to have him as a future number nine to preserve him and prolong his career. Because if you play in Xavi's system as a winger, you have got to run. You've got to run and run and run and defend and do a lot of things. And if you are the center forward, you've got two jobs as a number nine in Xavi's system. Mm -hmm. Put the ball in the back of the net, 
you got to be a clinical finisher and obviously on checks, checks those boxes <laughs> and then yep. you also need to be able to lead the press but not as a sole presser you lead the press with the higher interior usually on the opposite side which yep. is in this case a, a young man named pedri so the point of your pressure comes from one of your high interiors who's coming up mm. and then the other interior, that being Gabi, a perfect spot for him, mm. right underneath the other interior in the middle of the interior and the number nine with the wingers still out wide canceling out those wingbacks or the fullbacks from the opposition team. And that yep. is the press that Xavi, whether he's playing in a 4-3-3 or he's playing in the 3-4-3, which again, mm. based on the transfers, it hints that that still might be his his full mission, his full fruition of his ideas is going to be a 3-4-3 three, three <laughs> next season or in the post-Busquets era. Let's put it that way. In the post-Alba right. era. Yeah. We don't need a yep. a full a left-back like Alba and you don't necessarily need a defensive midfielder like uh, like Busquets. You shift yeah. to a 3-4-3 three, because three, that's what personnel is going to fit in the future. So all of those things considered, Ansu does make sense in this hypothetical number mm-hmm. nine situation that Xavi is looking forward towards through the future. And again, just having him also stretch his legs out and play at the number nine does make sense, especially, and we're going to talk about Memphis in a second, but when you have Memphis on the left, where Ferran Torres, is he a number nine? I guess still not mm-hmm. right now. And I think Sh- uh, Xavi has shown you that he's more inclined to not even use him out of necessity because he's failing. Like us thinking yeah. Ferran Torres is this mess of a player and doesn't want to figure it out. That does not, A, make sense with the stats, as you and I have talked about before, and mm-hmm. two, does not make sense with what Xavi says about Ferran Torres. Like, yeah, he might be trying yeah. to gas him up and give him confidence, but Xavi seems to really like his spacing and his work yeah. rate, and he understands that even if he is missing a few shots or not putting the ball in the back of the net the way you expect him to, his numbers still say that he has been doing it enough that, you know, he's just in the right spots all the time. And you're blaming him more for the times he doesn't finish than understanding. So you just actually, how you just said the thing that I was yeah. thinking that yeah. even when he doesn't put the ball in, in the net, Ferran Torres has, I mean, he has a, a genuine gift for being in, in the right spot to He's elite. It's both an, it's an elite encounter the has. ball yeah. and encounter the ball in a, in a position where there there's a, a good opportunity to score. Yeah, but we, and, we, we've done the Ferran Torres thing many, many times. Oh, but, yeah, 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 but yeah, speaking of, of, of the Ansu point, right? Because, again, it was yep. kind of weird that we started with Ansu because he subbed on, and then we do Memphis. But, mm-hmm. yeah, but the way it all fits together, if Dembele renews, and who knows, well, mm-hmm. again, we'll do Memphis in a second. Aubameyang has another year where his wages are also going to go up, and Ferran yep. Torres is involved too. And, I mean, you're now talking that's your forward line. So yep. where do you see, I mean, do you agree with Xavi, and how do you play, how do you find Ansu's future playing out? So I think, I mean, like you said, Ansu has... All the necessary, all the necessary tools and skills to be an elite number nine, and you know, I mean, what we talked about now in you know Aubameyang and and Memphis when he's on Barca do have guys who are excellent at putting the ball in the net, and you know, but Ansu is a you know if he's if he's on and he has a good run of games and he's you know really at his best, he is an elite clinical finisher, and having him you know in the middle in front of goal. And having those chances fall to him rather than whomever else they might fall to is is preferable first and foremost. Secondly, to the other point that you brought up, if we've seen anything in, you know, we've seen prodigious, incredible talent from Ansu, but he's gotten injured a lot. And, you know, if you can put him in a position where he is in a premier spot and he's making massive contributions to the team, but he doesn't have to kind of run at full pelt as often and risk, you know, just 
re-injury or aggravating these injuries, I'm, I'm all for that. I mean, if you know, we are a little bit, at least in my mind, we are a little bit at the point where I want to, and when I say protect him, I don't mean limit his time on the pitch or limit the number of games that he plays, but just the manner in which he's deployed needs to take into account that, you know, at this young age, he's already had, you know, a number of fairly serious injuries that have kept him out for extended periods of time. And missing so the meniscus just, and missing the meniscus is something that's not going to go away. It's not like like Dembele, yeah. every single one of Dembele's hamstring injuries or muscle injuries have all technically been rectified. And in theory, yes, yeah. Dembele is going to be 100%. Yes, guys are injury prone, but in theory, he's able to be 100% in case he doesn't get injured. But Ansu yeah. is, again, he's never going to be able to get back. I mean, not even get back to what he was because, again, he might improve. He's definitely going to improve as a player. He'll, he'll, he'll be better at better. other things. Yeah, yeah. He'll, yeah. He'll, he'll look like he's improved, but physically, he'll never be able to be 100%. And that, it just, it kills you. I mean, but so many professional athletes are, by the way. Like, so many professional yeah, exactly. athletes had an ankle injury when they were 18 where you don't know they have a rod, but some guys have a rod in their ankle, and you don't know that. And it happened when they yeah. were, or, you know, many, many players, like I mean, even David Villa, right? Like, what yeah. was David Villa? He played till he was 38 for uh back mm-hmm. in japan yeah, yeah, yeah japan right? and new york and yeah but when would when was the the drop-off for him right the drop-off was kind of 33 34 for mm. between barca and atletico madrid and he was still good in that final season of atletico madrid then yeah exactly yeah so then he goes to uh, nycfc and then in 2015 i mean but yeah he had broken his leg and i don't i think well, i mean Ansu had done that too already in his career when he was yeah. little but for 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 via he was able to survive and other players have been able to survive it too but yeah, as far as Ansu's injury issues, it's it's, it's just I think it's always going to plague him. Unfortunately, Pedri was would, would be the and, opposite, where it's like you hope that Pedri can get to one hundred percent. Just give him some rest, take the summer, and call it a day. Exactly. It was yeah. It's like with, with Pedri, they've been Pedri's almost been you know it's been what like two years that he's essentially just been getting driven into the ground just whenever he's healthy, pedal to the metal with him. So yeah, with Pedri, I feel like just some time for rest and recuperation and just uh yeah a little bit of healing like he should be fine but yeah with Ansu it's as much as we want him to be 100% healthy and I mean god do we ever and we do have to take into account the the actual physical toll that those injuries have taken on him and he needs to be put in a spot where the physical demands of the role aren't putting him I don't even want to say it at increased but you know at any sort of increased risk of injury you know, put him in a place where his skills can shine through and he can be the best version of himself, where he's also not having to go at that, you know, nine out of 10, 10 out of 10 all the time and risk, risk a new injury. Because this guy is, I mean, he's a gem. Like he's, he's legitimately a, he's a superstar in waiting if he can get, you know, a solid, just not even a solid run of games, but if he can can just stay healthy for two or three years, I mean, he's going to be a, an inner circle superstar in the game and everything has to be geared towards ensuring that he's healthy and on the pitch as much as possible and for some of the players that can compliment him let's do memphis to buy now because (laughs) he not only may he stay but he could also be an important piece next Mm -hmm. season and you know i've kind of had to unhinge my brain because 
you know, it was funny. He's only missed 14 matches this season, and I'll get to that in a second. But I kind of have to put my thinking cap on and say, hey, you know, this guy, even though I kind of forgot about him in the time he was yeah, out because he was I totally out, did too. <laughs> he was out when Barca were playing their best, right? Like he was their, their reference point, their number nine, their savior under Kuman. And you thought like, you almost felt like he left with Kuman. Like that was the feeling that the way he was he a went down guy, time, it felt like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so we saw how good he could, not how good he can be, but you saw where he's much more comfortable on that left wing and Obama gang just doing wonders for him an existing reference point, yeah. an existing number nine. And the times when Obama Yang's touch was good yesterday, it opened up mm. a lot for Barcelona left side, which included yep. Memphis Depay. So when Obama Yang was able to drop in to the right side and to shade over to De Jong and, and Danny Alves' side and drop yep. in there, they were able to get those switches over to the strong side where mm. they had Alba, Gabi, and Memphis, who were all pretty mm. comfortable in working in small spaces. And that's mm. something about Memphis where he can't really work on an island with his back to the goal as a reference number nine like he can play with like use those mm. th those strong shoulders and that strong back and those strong hamstrings with his back to the goal he can do those things but he mm. also needs someone close to him he needs a reference yeah. point so it's almost as if yeah he's better as a secondary striker or he's better in a, in a two pair up top and so again yeah. obama having him be uh, being a reference point for him made him just much more useful on that left wing and looking at his years, it's been interesting, right? He has nine goals in 23 appearances as the nine, three mm -hmm. goals in nine appearances as a left winger. So that's mm -hmm. 34 total appearances on the, or 32 total appearances on the season. And then yep. or rather 12 goals in two assists and 34 appearances. There we go. We finally yes. got there. Mm -hmm. So, but as I said, he only missed 14 games this season, played 34. But oddly enough, this is the odd stat here, right? Barca only lost one of those 14 games that he did not feature. The extra time defeat to Athletic Club in the Copa del Rey. So you get this yeah. sense that, like, with Barcelona, the, the way this team constructed, and with who's in the squad if they renewed MLA, you don't really need Memphis to buy, right? Like, the, the, this team is capable of doing well. And this there's yeah. an idea, I think, that can you upgrade that position, a forward position? You know, obviously they want a number nine, but can you upgrade that forward position outside of Memphis to buy? But if Ansu's going to play at the nine, and obviously Barcelona don't have the money to really splash the cash for yeah. a, a major number nine, then you're just going to kind of have to handle Memphis Dubai playing as your left winger. And, you know, it is a, it is a domino effect. I think Memphis's future is number three behind, uh, as far as the forwards go, Dembele's renewal, Ansu's health, especially in the offseason. Yep. And then with Memphis, he's got a contract until next summer when he'll become a free yep. agent at 29. So do you just hang on to him for another year and let him walk as a free agent? Or do you try to cash in? But it's the opportunity cost, right? Where Memphis next season, just being a rotation beast, being your fourth forward, mm -hmm. you could do a lot, or fifth forward rather, if, if it's Ansu and Dembele and Ferran Torres, as well yep. as Obama Yang, right? And Memphis, yep. so Memphis is four or five. And I think you do a lot worse than having Memphis Dubai be your fifth forward, certainly. Where the opportunity, again, the opportunity cost <laughs> is, is he going to, you know, gold costs money. So is he going to make you more money, if you will, or, or or give you more value in one year before becoming a free agent than you would spend on a player that might flop, right? Like you might spend $20 million on a player who flops as opposed to losing the market value of Memphis, who might only go for 15 or 20 mil because he has one year left I mean, on right, his contract, exactly. right? So that's really like the mathematical calculation you've got to do with Memphis now. So that's yeah. So that was kind of the as you were as you were talking. That was kind of the the thought process that I was going through was. So if you're going to buy, if you're another club and you're going to buy Memphis from from Barca, you don't. He, I mean, he's not going to go for 
30, 40, 50 million. So you're not, even the the version of kind of quote cashing in, it's not bringing you a windfall. I mean, it's, it's of course, it's not nothing, but so, you know, you have that, that on the one side, but given what he's shown and I mean, he's, he's shown an ability to be up for big moments with Barca. He, you know, any of these types of terms, sort of that the, the shirt didn't seem too big for him. Like he didn't, you know, he felt like he was comfortable sliding into a role with Barca rather than where I always felt like Antoine Griezmann, for example, I always felt like for, for as talented and committed as he was, I felt like he was always trying to, I don't know, almost kind of calibrate and perfect what he thought a Barca player needed to be and do where Memphis has come in and given us his interpretation of what Memphis Depay as Barcelona striker is. So in that sense, I think it's great. And I think also given the relative, relatively small transfer fee, he would command on the open market, you know, having those five strikers, I mean, next season, if presumably it's going to be the league, the Copa del Rey, and you're in the champions league and ideally, you know, you want to get out of your champions league group and you want to be playing in, you know, on those European nights in February and things like that. I mean, you're going to need that, you're going to need that depth. I mean, you all five of those guys, you know, everyone might not play as much as they want all the time, but you're going to need all five of those guys at various points. And, you know, I mean, whatever it is, even if it's just kind of small nagging stuff or soreness or fatigue or whatever, kind of, you know, injuries and physical stuff happen where you want and need depth. And I don't know that there's an avenue to securing better depth than Memphis if you let Memphis go for, you know, for what Barca can afford. Yeah. And from Memphis, let's head all the way to the back, because speaking of injuries, when it comes to Ansu, and we really talk about Memphis's injuries. He is on and off had injuries throughout his career. So that could be a question mark as well. And, you know, you don't want, you basically have Sergio Roberto. You don't know what he's going to be next year. So you're already re-signing one player for one more season to sit around until he becomes a free agent. We'll see if Roberto can stay healthy. But, uh, you know, I think the bigger question, no offense to Memphis and and Roberto, is about PK and his injury Mm -hmm. stuff, which I, for the last few months prior to this, especially during that unbeaten streak, I, you know, he's been hot and cold. He's been picking up those those nicks, but he was never out for any extended amount of time. And I've talked many, many times now about how much better Barca's defense is with PK under Xavi than without him in it this season. It's the yep. difference between, as I've said, conceding a goal every 360 minutes to a goal every 45 minutes. That's approximate, but, you know, I'm a little mental math. I'm, I'm no math. That was wild, though. Yeah. Right. It's, it's certainly a huge gap with him on the field yep. to him off it. Th- those numbers mean something. And, you know, we, we saw that against Mallorca that Garcia is still Garcia at the back. It happens. Yep. And, uh, you know, teams are going to try to defensively avoid Araujo, but they're also going to mm-hmm. pressure him in, uh, pressure him in the same way, where Pique, as I said, Pique is Garcia plus Araujo plus a vocal leader. He does all three of those things for you. Yep. But with him now missing time, you do start to wonder what next year holds for him. Because he's at a point where especially we know with all of his other dealings and I we you know mm-hmm. we've talked about it before for better or worse yeah. and moral arguments about that blah, blah, blah. but PK is at a point professionally in his in his life in his life off the field that if he walks away I mean this is the guy that walked away from a, the Spanish national team remember when I mean when mm-hmm. they were doing well before yep. they were we'll say you know completely rebuilding if you will he stepped away before yeah. the other the others in that generation and he also apparently could come back for Qatar but I, I doubt yeah. that <laughs> that said 
for PK, I mean, yeah, maybe Qatar is his last hurrah, and he wants to even, and he'll even retire in January of next season. Who knows what PK has in, in store, right? Yep. We know he's doing more media with Twitch and all that stuff. But it, it certainly is a question, not for the club, because PK, his salary is so low, and he's still going to get, when he retires, same with Busquets, they're going to get a huge payday. A huge check is mm-hmm. coming their way the minute they hang their boots up because of what they were promised. That was part of that agreement, mm-hmm. part of that contract of them reducing their salary as much as they did. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's just as far as on-the-field product, what is PK going to give you? How much can you rely on him? And what that really questions is, are Barcelona aggressively going to be going for some other? I mean, that's why we've seen Esplacueta. We've seen guys that can play in a back three. So yep. are Barcelona going for just a versatile center back slash right back or center back slash left back? So, and I, I've thrown Lissandra Martinez being the perfect fit there. Uh, mm-hmm. But yeah, are, are they really going to be pushing hard for some other, you know, Christensen isn't just it, that they need somebody else to reinforce that back line because are they really counting on PK and how much next season? I mean, so to answer your question, you know, will they be pursuing that? I mean, I think presumably, yes, for the variety of reasons that you that you mentioned. I mean, first of all, I mean, there's just a simple age thing. It's, you know, he's, you know, when you're this many years in and this many this many miles on the odometer, you know, at some point that does. And I mean, PK has played, and as you said, I mean, PK has played fantastically under Xavi, but at some point, just the, the tread on the tires starts to, starts to wear down. And that's not even talking about injury where, like you said, I mean, he's had the odd nagging injury, you know, a few of them, but he's had, you know, the odd nagging injury here and there. So there's both of those elements. And I do think also, I do, I do question how much, how much longer, even absent those, even absent any injury concerns, how much longer genuinely is PK going to going to do this? I mean, you know, you hear you know great athletes who you know, especially as they get towards the latter stages of their career, they always say, you know, when I can't get up in the off season and put in the work that makes me ready to show up in camp and be myself, when I'm not willing to do that in the off season, I know it's time to go. And so I think that's kind of the thing. It's, you know, playing the games and wanting to play the games, I think is natural. And that's probably universally what what everybody looks forward to the most. But how much of that that heavy lifting and the the blood and sweat are you willing to put in, you know, during the other times? And as you said, I mean, PK is sort of a man about all different avenues. (laughs) And, you know, my, my thought was that, you know, either next season or the season after would would be his last season anyway. I mean, just, so, I mean, for that reason, you already have to start thinking about succession and Araujo is great, but alone isn't going, you know, he can't be both himself and PK. So you're going to have to figure out what to do. And, you know, I mean, you're, you're never going to get anybody that has the, the experience and the institutional knowledge that the PK has to just slot into a Barca back line under Javi and just, just instinctively know where to be, what to do, and how to tell others how to do it. But you do need to find someone who, yeah, has the versatility and both the the IQ for the game and the physical tools to to do what you need. So, I mean, my my assumption is yes. And you know, I don't know what the asking prices are, and I don't know what you know who's going to be available at at, at what price and what kind of money Barca are actually going to have to throw around at said player, but. If the right option came along, I mean, I would I would expect them to have an interest. 
Yeah, Cinemax are interesting too because uh, one of the things that we're speaking about PK with is through the lens of experience and how his experience is what makes him so useful to Barcelona and such a good quality leader and talent and all these different things. And center backs are interesting because they're quote unquote not elite until they are elite and then all of a sudden they kind of pop up out of nowhere. I mean, Virgil van, van Dijk is the example that we use probably most prevalently because he was a player for, I mean, when when he was at Celtic, a lot of teams could have had him. When he was at Southampton, yep. a lot of teams could have had him. But, yeah. you know, and then in his mid-20s, he takes that leap. He takes that step forward. Yeah, then he got great. <laughs> right, and yeah. then he got great. And then he became an elite. He became a top one, two, three, you know, the year that he was a quote-unquote Ballon d'Or, you know, top three, top five, whatever it was. You know, yeah. he, he ascended to that level. And yep. to see Araujo as good as he is at 22 years old, it tells you that, you know, it's he's fairly being called one of the next big ones, one of the next great, mm-hmm. great center back prospects because, yeah, the passing isn't totally there, but it hasn't been there for a lot of center backs. And they figured it out mm-hmm. and they got to where yeah. they needed to be. Even even Virgil van Dijk, if, again, if you watch his passing out of the back at Celtic, he was anything about home about it. I mean, it made sense mm-hmm. to fit in the Scottish League, which, sorry, Scottish League, it's not, it's not a compliment to you. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and so to find these these players who have that kind of experience, I guess it does make sense. Like, I keep questioning the Azblaqueta thing, but you keep going back to that because, oh, this is a guy who can play right back, which is a, mm-hmm. a spot that with Des sticking around, but still, you mm-hmm. is he a starter? You still question that? And then Alves yeah. being 39 next year. Azbukleta just makes so much sense in the world mm-hmm. because he just is a leader. He's a guy that's been there. He has he's bringing all that stuff in, all that leadership, all that that captain stuff. You know, there's an argument that you know and he's he's been on every big stage. You know, yep. I mean, he's whether it's and I don't you know massive arenas and you know just really kind of uh, hostile like kind of cauldron atmospheres. You know, away from home and things like that. I mean, he's played in games that matter at a at a big demanding club and he knows what it is to need to get those results and to have to marshal the forces and, and figure out how to do it when things aren't, aren't exactly breaking your way. Yeah. So speaking of transfers though, we'll, we'll continue to ask the mm-hmm. question. I don't think that's going away Two that I think might go away. There's this mm-hmm. Carlos Soler rumor that I do want to hit and Marcos Alonso from Chelsea as well. Let's do Alonso because I don't have anything to say about this. I, I wouldn't want him. I, I don't want him. Like, yeah, he has that thing that happened in his past with the driving. 31 yep. years old, still has a contract at Chelsea, though, too. I went through all the left back options the other mm-hmm. day in that big, you know, again, that manifesto I made about the transfer summer candidates that Barcelona should be looking at. And yeah. Alonso was not on that list. Alonso wouldn't be on that list. I think his wages are a bit too high. I don't mm-hmm. get that. Like, I, I don't I don't know who's even starting that rumor, but it's just one of those things where a Spanish national team player is being linked to Barca Real Madrid. That That's, I think, all that I find with that. Oh, I think it's exactly, yeah. And I mean, my with absolutely no verified information and, and zero sources, my, my thought is that with everything that's going on at Chelsea right now, I mean, there's there's something, there's, there's an exodus that is coming slash underway yeah. a little bit. And... I mean, my guess is that's his his agents just trying to get him linked to big clubs so that other big clubs want to get involved because, yeah, I mean, to, to make that move would make really no sense for, for Barca. Yeah, I didn't know where that one came from. I feel like that is purely a financial leverage play by uh, yeah. Alonso's representation to, I mean, ideally probably just get a, a big contract out of someone probably in the Premier League, but because I can't imagine him going to Barca or Real Madrid or Atletico for that matter. So, and I don't know who else in 
La Liga is going to going to pay the wages that he's presumably going to want, unless he's going to take a massive offer, a massive discount to to you know come and play in Spain. Yeah, and then the other one's the opposite though. The Carlos Soler one okay. is where there's smoke, there's fire, and yes, mm-hmm. it comes from Diario Ask, which is like the one thing where you go, okay, I'm not sure mm-hmm. about that because that's yeah. a Madrid-based paper. I mean, it could also be just something that they're throwing out there to to keep Valencia and Barcelona a bit unstable or ask more questions. Or it's also weird timing based on the conversation that we know actually did happen between Frankie de Jong and Xavi and the frustration that de Jong had about coming off the field against Rayo So it kind of is another chapter in that story, which does make you certainly raise your eyebrows. So why are they involving another player into this saga, if you will? And the caveat is here that only if Frankie de Jong is sold would Soler arrive around 20 mil, which also is a bit a bit too low for what I think Soler probably commands, <clears throat> even though he still has a contract for another year. Um, it, it's still, I mean, 20 mil, I mean, I guess, cause he only has one season, uh, what one year left. But I, I also think Soler being the captain, like I, I, I cannot, I can easily see him extending, but uh, Valencia is so hard because Barcelona are always like Valencia players. Very likely they yeah. could go for Valencia players. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, they're, it's local. It's close by. It's local. Yeah, it's, it's not far at right? all. Yeah. And so scouts are constantly over there at those games. And, you know, he's a good player. I mean, he's one of the best players yeah. <laughs> in Spain this season. Yes, he has 12 goals, five assists in 34 matches. But his versatility, his work rate, he does everything. He does all these little mm-hmm. things. And he does very much remind you of Rakitic at Sevilla before he came to Barcelona. That's mm-hmm. the kind of player that he reminds you of. He's an attacking midfielder, but he also, again, gets in, digs in, can build up from the back, yeah. can play defensively. Like, he does all these things well. Soler is a very, very good midfielder. And the reason I say where there's smoke, there's fire is because Soler, is, just like Danny Almo, has been linked to Barcelona over multiple transfer windows. So it's not like yeah. this is coming out of nowhere. It's that we constantly hear Danny Almo. We constantly hear Carlos Soler the last few transfer windows. And for good reason. Again, he's a good player that reinforced that midfield. But as I've said before, with... Frank Kessier taking the spot of Ricky Pouge, you've got six midfielders. It's it's done. Like yeah. Nico Gonzalez is the one who's going to be fighting for minutes, and we're going to be asking whether or not he should be loaned in next, uh, January. Like I yep. think unless Pedri can't get healthy or somebody else gets hurt long-term, which you hope that they don't, that's your six, right. and, and, and it's Nico fighting for minutes. But the Valencia, the interesting subplot here is that Valencia have very much denied this. They have come out, you know, you do usually yeah, don't they hear were, clubs. they were pretty vehement today, I think. Right, yeah. they were pretty angry. Like, you don't hear clubs, like, really come out and deny yeah. this completely, which does make you hear, like think that FC Barcelona have sounded it out and have taken steps forward to mm. try to secure his signature. That's what that means to me that, Hey, there's nothing going on here. We, you know, d- don't worry about it. Look, look the other way. And that mm-hmm. might just be to try to ward off FC Barcelona and say, Hey, you know, we know you're trying to call him. We know you're trying to get his digits, but you know, leave our guy alone. That's, that's one of our captains. Yeah. I know with Valencia, there's always, it's one of these clubs that's, you know, in recent years, it's in a perpetual state of I mean, flux, we'll say. But, yeah, no, no, you no. Know. say poorly run. Peter, Peter yeah, Lim, as it, the owner, no, it's, is, it's not, it's not yeah, great, it's it's not great yeah, for the fans. It's not great for the team and the stability. No. I mean, Danny Parejo being, I mean, as your former captain. They gave him away. Yeah. And yeah, no, I mean, it's that's what I mean. Like, it's a it's a total circus there. And and I don't mean the, the players themselves, but just the entire right sort of that that sphere that that they have to exist in and play in is just so wild and weird part of me thought that maybe the like you said he has one year left on his contract and when i first read the the 20 million because i thought that i thought that too that i was like wow that's pretty cheap i mean you feel like you'd be able to get that do you feel like there'd be clubs even just 
you know, elsewhere in Europe, they would be, they'd be willing to trump that, that figure to get him. Yeah. But then I just figured, is this just like, they effectively they're raising currency because there's some financial issue or another at the club or something like that. You're talking about but, Barcelona. Are you talking about Valencia? Cause I'm talking about Valencia. Cause I said, let's flip that, that if Barcelona are like, Whenever you keep going through these transfers, I keep being reminded that this club, that being Barcelona, still, still, who can they afford? How much can they afford? That's... And not even wages. I mean, I'm sorry, not even transfers. I'm talking about wages. Like, who can yes. they get underneath this cap? And if De Young is too expensive and De Young is not helping in that wage structure, is that why they're getting rid of De Young? Not, again, because of an issue with the club or, trans- or you know what I mean, or they need the transfer money. No, like, is, are his wages a problem for their wage structure and they have to bring in Soler, who t- who's probably likely would take a reduction to move to Barcelona and get out of Jose uh, Bordelas's uh, <laughs> demanding schedule. Yeah. So it, they, it, that's the thing. There's, there's the Barca piece of it too, where, and I know in, you know, by, by La Liga rules, there is the effective sort of salary cap or whatever we want to call it. But you know, I mean, effectively a salary cap, as we learned last summer, you know, Barca have had to, to do a lot of contorting to, to get under it. And yeah, I mean, the, those problems didn't suddenly just go away. And yeah, the, the De Young rumors, in, in tandem with the Solaire ones, if, if there is real, if there is fire with, you know, where, where the Solaire smoke is, I mean, he could essentially just be a cheaper, if not like-for-like replacement, but essentially a cheaper functional replacement for, for De Young on lower wages. And you can, you know, if you can, you know, the some of the stuff I read about De Young is, they would try to get what 70 million for him. And so if you can pocket 50 million euros and save some money on wages, yeah, at their best, I don't think Solaire is the player that De Young is. But when you have to take these financial considerations into into consideration as well, I mean, that just might have to be a move that you make. I mean, these might be some yeah. of the, you know, when, when we were talking about it was always in the context of Messi leaving when they were talking about the the financial issues, but you know, they would say the you know, you read all the time that Barca are going to have to make some difficult decisions. And this is one of those things where, you know, you sell a De Young, you stockpile some of that cash, and you get a quality midfielder who will play for, when I say a fraction of the wages, I mean, I don't mean, you know, a pittance, but a, a smaller, less than what you're paying De Young. And in the midst of all that, you get to pocket, you know, tens of millions. Yep. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't want to part with Frank De Young. But, no. you know, we're talking if De Young is sold, it's for the business sense. But again, yes. it's it's just it's frustrating because it comes out the same week with the Xavi and De Young thing. And I think people are going to always obviously Kool-Aid and fans always look at everything only through the sporting lens. But yeah, yeah for, through a sporting lens, Frank De Young under Xavi, it's all going to be figured out. Don't you worry. Right. Like, 100%. Like, yeah. like I would not. Especially want... when they get a preseason together. If, if yeah. they have an, an off season and a preseason to really kind of put their heads together and kind of workshop what his role is and what the expectations yeah. are i have no doubt that it would be spectacular yeah because again the big thing is while busquets 34 right like he mm. he is one injury and like i keep saying busquets he's so durable he's just always available always it's, it's incredible yeah, yeah it's incredible um but he really truly is at his age one injury or one two month stretch away where they're going to have to figure it out without Sergio busquets and at right. 34 he might be at a point where okay we figured it out and let's like and and you can even look at next season where you know I almost want to see not to say that Busquets is injured but I want to see like a month of games or a month and a half of games what does Barcelona do with Frankie De Young in their team without Busquets like could you just imagine it over the summer yeah. if you lose Frankie De Young 
and you sell Frankie the Young before Busquets is gone. And Busquets is still the consummate everyday starter next season. It's just like, I just, I can't wrap my head around not being able to see what it will look like with Frankie the Young being a main piece of that midfield yes. with Busquets gone. I just, I have to see it first before, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, so, like if, we, if we never got, yeah, if we never got the opportunity to see that, it would yeah, I I know what you mean. Like because well, it would look a lot like what we didn't see of Neymar becoming the guy in a post Messi world. But that, <laughs> yeah, that, I mean, I that's going to kind of level we're talking about in the midfield here. But yeah, all right, Emil. There's going to be more transfer rumors to talk about through the next few weeks. They got to sell the papers, and Barca results don't really move the needle anymore. Nope. <laughs> I can tell you that uh, to flip the hood up and say that people are uh, despondent a bit about the recent results and frustrated. Certainly, <laughs> when the team is doing well, people are excited, and I think. People just want the season to end and transfers over the summer and then restart next season with a full healthy squad. So hopefully, well, I will be talking to you way, way before that. But Emil, thanks oh, so much I'm, again. Absolutely. You can follow him on Twitter down in the show notes. Click on his name. We're also on Twitter and Instagram at the Barcelona Pot at D13 for me. I want to thank the, uh, we, we had a few people who decided to jump in the deep end before I really posted <laughs> it on social media everywhere. But there is merch on our merch store that's available in the link in the show notes that was available uh, in the link on the YouTube stuff. So yeah, just check out our merch store, but I will be showcasing a bit more of that in the coming weeks. I'm waiting for a few pieces to show off myself. So yeah, I, there'll be more of that and you have time. It's, it's not like it's a uh, limited time only or anything like that. So thank you to those who decided to bite the bullet, if you will, and uh, <laughs> are going to be repping some Barcelona podcast merch. That's awesome. Thank you so much. And then a close Facebook group, the Barcelona podcast, answer those questions, let's in. Patreon as well is how we keep making these shows. Thank you to all of our patrons over there financially supporting the show. And then on YouTube with match reviews and some other fun stuff. Uh, a, a little, again, programming note over there. I've got a pretty crazy busy month with a lot of different things going on in my life, a little bit of travel for the first time since the pandemic even began. So it's been it's been almost yeah two years plus since mm -hmm. I, I kind of was away from home for any extended amount of two or three days. But uh, I will be away a little bit this month. So those match reviews are going to be coming out a day or two late at times, or they might be just audio. Or I think for the Villarreal one, the final one of the season, I might just skip that one. And then I do have a special surprise coming for that next podcast to wrap up the week and it's not a guess it's just a there's a lot there's a lot going on here let's put it that way so most importantly though thanks so much for listening to barcelona podcast until next time we'll talk to you soon for some barca for some barca whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance that's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.